It's great to be with y'all. Uh, I'm Father Branson Hip. I'm the chaplain at Georgia Tech. Uh, yeah, and I think they gave me the recreation talk because they know I like to clown and like to hang out. So here we are. Uh, I'm actually I'm gonna give more space for questions because I'm super curious to hear about questions in connection to this. But I actually really believe that. Uh, one of the greatest ways that we are assigned to the world uh, and actually like I think one of the greatest ways of evangelization will be like the fact that we know how to, to recreate that we know how to like rest well and actually delight in the goodness of things and that this is a deeply Christian thing and is actually the fulfillment of what most people live but don't understand uh, one of my friends was just telling me they were up in a Banff and astonishingly beautiful, right? Incredibly beautiful. And there was a stranger, just this guy standing next to this person. And the stranger said, like, I don't know what I believe, but you can't look at nature and not think that there's something. And this, this guy was like, I have to kind of like reevaluate and ask questions because this is so astonishingly beautiful. There's something here that is for me. And so the experience of real beauty in nature and the experience of like recreation uh, to like be out in nature and to experience it in such a clear way left this hanging question mark of like, who are you? What is this? Right. And I, I am becoming more and more convinced that the way that we not just work, but the way that we rest and the way that we recreate together can be assigned to others of a deeply more like human way of living. I'll give you an example. Just uh, two weeks ago, some of my friends and I, we, we all love music. And so we just did this thing very simple of we had a good speaker, we had a drink, and it was like, all right, bring two songs. Just bring two songs that you love and like explain why you love it. And then just, we're just going to sit down and listen to it. And that's it. We're just going to sit down and listen to it and talk about it. And it was one of the most beautiful nights. And I discovered new songs that I had never, like, one, a couple that I had, like, dismissed as just being okay. And they ended up being incredibly deep and insightful. Um, but I also just discovered, and it was all different genres, and it was kind of all over the map. And it was also kind of vulnerable, where we were just, with some of my students, joking about, there's a playlist that you listen to with your friends, and then there's a playlist that, like, you listen to when you're alone, where you're almost like afraid of other people. Like what if they hate it, but it's so important to you. I think most people have a like separate playlist. Um, but it was so astonishingly beautiful. The simplicity of sitting and just listening to music together, not doing anything else, but just listening to it. Very simple, very, very beautiful. And I was like, who else is doing this, right? We're such a distraction and like multitasking thing. It's like we only listen to music when like we're doing work or like we're doing laundry or there's other things going on where the music isn't actually the focus. And so it's more a distraction from the monotony of life than actually entering into something more beautiful. And so this is kind of the first distinction I would make in the sense of real recreation is not distraction from life. It's not to escape, it's actually to enter more deeply into the reality of things. What we are used to is distraction, right? Like cramming as many things in the brain as possible to forget what's going on. That's kind of our normal mode of operation. And it's something we've inherited and it's become pretty instinctive and people 
you know, many of y'all know the whole economy of attention. Like the real way to make money from anybody is to get their attention in something. And so everything is uh, moving towards one, distracting us, but pulling us towards something specific in order to actually profit from us, right? Uh, Okay, just to say a couple words about uh, recreation, recreation, just such a beautiful word. But the first thing I would say is it's this space to delight in the goodness of things. It's a space to actually enter more deeply into reality and to delight in the goodness of things. Um, Wendell Berry and his uh, introduction to the, his Sabbath poems, really beautiful. Uh, he would go, he's a, he's, a, he's a Protestant guy, but every Sunday if the weather was nice, instead of going to church, he would go out into the woods and then write poetry. And he has like 30 years of his stuff and it's called the Sabbath poems and they're very beautiful. But one of the things he says very interestingly is that um, if, if, a, if a craftsman is making a table, The table is incomplete until the craftsman stops to look at and behold and delight in the goodness of the table, right? To behold what he has created. The action is incomplete without that. And he's saying, God, at the end, you know, throughout creation, he saw it and it was good. He saw it and it was good. But then takes the seventh day to delight in the goodness of being, right? When someone is in love with you, the the most precious moment is this like stopping to behold each other's face, right? To be with someone in it. Even if something ridiculous happens at work, uh, the one person that maybe you're really good friends with, you immediately look for their face so that you can laugh at the thing together. Like we both just saw the same thing, right? There's a desire to delight in and enter into the goodness of the thing. Uh, So it's not to escape reality, but to enter reality more deeply. And underneath that is even an element of praise and the sense of the recognition of a you. We talked about this person, right, in front of like the beauty of nature saying, I don't know what I believe, but there's something more. Uh, I'm just becoming more convinced of, I love love music and the sense of, like great musicians, there's such a like, what is going on here that music awakens my heart in such a way? And so it's a question mark. And in my mind, it's like, oh, like this is a you that I'm familiar with, that you has a face. So I can actually enjoy the music more than them, even though I can't play music worth anything. I can delight in it more because I know who this comes from and I am familiar with him. So we're actually meant to delight in and enter into things more. And this is meant to be more countercultural in the sense of the more that America is go, go, go and kind of efficiency based to take time to delight in something and just enjoy it is not efficient. Right. I, I catch this in myself where somebody's sharing like after mass, some beautiful encounter with the Lord. And there's like a part of me that's like, cool, so I can move on to the next thing I have to do. And it's like, no, like the Lord did something. Why can't we just stop to enjoy this, right? We like are so efficiency-based in like a negative sense that's actually going beyond the limits of our humanity. There's all the studies about the, like you go past a certain number of hours in a work week and you stop actually, it becomes less efficient, right? Like you're actually getting less work out of people by more. We still don't understand the limitations of our humanity, but that we are made 
to delight in things. And so there is this aspect of recreation that is so good and important. And there's different things of this. I think about like if you're playing softball and when you hit it and you just know that like like you've hit a dinger. Like you just know, right? There's a certain click. And it's in other things too. Like my friend like who can bowl really well and when he walks away and doesn't even look because he knows he got a strike, it makes me so mad, right? There's a certain click though that's hard to describe. But I think we know where it's like you nailed it. Like you just know and it's like you're in tune with the world, right? It's a beautiful thing. And we're actually meant to like enjoy and delight in that. And there is like a beauty to like recreating, playing sports together, reading something beautiful that isn't a running away from life, but an entering more deeply into it, listening to music together. Even like watching, I, I would argue like certain shows, there's a group of my like priest buddies that in seminary, whenever they had a day off, they would watch like a serious movie together and then discuss it. And looking at it in like a true way and an honest way, uh, that was genuine recreation, looking at life, entering more deeply in. Uh, okay, this is a line from uh, Monsignor Luigi Giussani talking about music. He says, in music, in the panorama of nature, in dreams at night, it is to something else that man pays homage. From which he expects something, he awaits it. His enthusiasm is for something that music or everything that is beautiful in this world has awakened within him. When a person begins to feel this, his soul immediately harks to await the other thing. Even in the presence of what he can grasp, he awaits another thing. He grasps what he can grasp, but he awaits another thing. There is in the experience of like the beauty of music, this like awaiting another thing, meeting something else. And in all of like good recreation, there is a sense of delighting in being, which is like what we are made for. It is good that you are. It is good that things are. Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Right? A deeper level of living. Peter asks Jesus so bluntly when the rich young man walks away sad. He says, like, we've given everything to follow you. And Jesus promises him. He doesn't say, hey, look, like, life is going to be terrible uh, and you're just going to suffer, and then you'll die and go to heaven, and you'll get the pie in the sky, and that'll be pretty good, right? Like, that's not what he says. He promises the hundredfold now and eternal life to come. Houses, mothers, brothers, right? Persecutions, and then eternal life. He promises trouble as well. Uh, but he promises the hundredfold. I, I have experienced the hundredfold, even in living, like, life priesthood's pretty intense, you know? And we, like, can go at it pretty hard of, like, the depths of, like, grieving with people and everything. But this isn't a moving, like, pretending, this isn't pretending suffering isn't real. This isn't ignoring problems. This isn't making light of things. This isn't dodging sanctity. It's, no, like, you live all of it, right? You live Good Friday and you live Easter Sunday. Like, there's a time to, like, mourn things, and there is a time to rejoice and delight in the goodness of it. And it's actually incredibly important and good and healing, and, like, you are worthy of it. And you can be serious about sanctity and goon with the fellas playing softball, right? Like, it's not outside of the relationship with him. 
There's a line I really love, G.K. Chesterton. He says, you grave creatures can never be brought to understand how much quicker work really goes with the assistance of nonsense and good meals. Sometimes, like, working on a problem, trying to understand something where I got, and just, like, hanging out with, like, my priest buddies and just, like, being with them and joking around. And it's like, all right, and just the, like, staying together, enjoying a good meal, cooking together, hanging out, whatever. And it's like, the question is answered. It's clarified. Uh, creation becomes more clear. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien has this whole beautiful thing about subcreation. And he's basically like, God is the creator. He's sustaining all of being. And yet also, we're made in his image and likeness. So there's some aspect of us that's meant to create as well. And so he says we're called to subcreate in the sense of take what he's already given us and order it to something new in the sense of creation. Right. So for him, particularly like telling stories like the whole Lord of the Rings, that whole world for him is participating in the creativity of God, subcreating and is actually a good, beautiful, important thing. But whenever like simple human things of gardening, right, to take what is and to make it more fruitful, uh, gosh, landscaping like carpentry, uh, you know, making need like the, 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 you're taking something and making something more. And he says, like, you're subcreating. You're actually participating in the creative act of God. And that is beautiful. Right. And is of him. Uh, at the heart of it, I would say, is this distinction between am I using this to run away or am I entering more deeply into life? And then to make sure when we recreate that we do it together. Uh, that we live these things together. And I like earnestly yearn for a culture of people, like of Christians, of Catholics who rest well and like delight in the goodness of things together and aren't caught up in an inhuman rat race that creates shallow diversions, uh, but is actually like entering deeply into things. Uh, okay, one line from Wendell Berry and then going to leave a lot of space for questions because I want to hear like what what is the question in front of this but uh, one of Wendell Berry's beautiful poems Standing Ground it's all this stuff but at the end he says better than any argument is to rise at dawn and pick dew wet berries in a cup better than any argument is to rise at dawn and pick dew wet berries in a cup it's like man I can like try to problem solve or like just be angry or frustrated but to like watch the sunrise it resolves a lot, as weird as that is to say. It's like, oh yeah, things are actually beautiful. Maybe this thing isn't that important, or maybe it is important, but my anger is not doing anything about it, right? This like slowing down is crucial. And I don't think we realize because we're in it that what we're living now is contrary to almost all of human history. It's never been like this before. Uh, and I, I don't think we recognize it, so like we think it's normal. I have a buddy who... Uh, I was in seminary with who had uh, Lyme's disease, cat scratch disease, and he was really allergic to high fructose corn syrup. And he was sick, super sick for so long. And uh, he finally got figured out all of the stuff was. And once he got better, he was like, oh my gosh, I haven't like really thought about anything because I've just been in pain all the time. And he's like, I can actually think about things and enjoy things. And he's like, I was sick for so long I didn't realize what it was like to be well. 
And it's like, man, what if in post-modernity, like we've been sick for so long, we actually don't know what it's like to be well. And it's like, no, like you actually can delight in the goodness of things. You can read the long novel. You can actually do it, right? And it's actually worth it and beautiful. We can like sit to pray. Uh, we can take time to like play a pickup game of football, right? And enjoy it. And that's actually of Christ. Recreation, the ordering participating in the ordering of the cosmos. It's both like a silly thing and a serious thing simultaneously. Okay, uh, I don't want to say more because I want to leave a lot of space for questions. This is the part I'm really curious about. John Henry Newman also said, you can't write, you can't have a sinless literature about a sinful people. And so to look at the human problem actually in a true way through fiction or nonfiction actually does advance it. Now there's certain things, right, that are, uh, that are like unhelpful and not good, right? And I think the question of like lust is an interesting one. I think, because I like the, yeah. Uh, like there are these kinds of questions, but for me, I'll read just about anything. And like I'm reading a postmodern novel right now that is like pretty, pretty absurd. And it's given me, like for me, it's helpful of like, I actually understand what this person is getting at of like, if I was to, to like talk about the faith with this man, like before, I don't think I would have understand the problem and now I do, right? So for me, like reading these things is super helpful just understanding different people's experiences and like the human heart. Uh, uh, Monsignor Giussani had this line where he was like, forgive me for all the quotes I'm gonna use, but literature convinced me of what philosophy couldn't. Uh, because we exist in time, uh, we exist within story. Like most people that do Relay for Life, you know the thing for, for like cancer research, whenever you go, it's either uh, high schoolers that need their volunteer hours or people that know someone that has cancer, right? It matters to them because something happened, a person in their life. What actually convinces us of things very rarely is, is didactic argument, but is actually an event, something that happens. So story actually matters a lot because it is what actually makes us think about things and convinces us of things. Peter Kreeft would always say that uh, what convinced him that we're responsible for each other was not any argument, but reading Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. There are certain novels that I've read uh, and nonfiction where it's caused me to rethink about something and it wasn't the argument, it was walking with the person in their story. They are part of the body of Christ, right? Or they're outside of it but longing for it, right? So I, we do have to kind of sift through because there's so many books out there, there's so many things. There's a real question of, and I think there needs to be some intentionality of is this worth my time? Time is super precious, is it worth it? But I'm, I'm more of the mind of like St. Paul's letter to Timothy where he says, test everything, retain what is good. We also have to keep in mind that Thomas Akempis was writing to a very specific crowd at a very specific time. We always have to keep that in mind. And if we don't know what was going on in that 
specific time, we can kind of misinterpret the saints or the great Christian writers, right? If you're writing to a really decadent culture, you're going to write differently than an extremely puritanical one. And if we don't have that kind of context, we can kind of get in trouble with the saints. Sometimes I get a little nervous when people are reading specific books in the modern age because they can really tend to scrupulosity and they don't understand who the saint was writing to and why. So it's just like with scriptures, context matters. Is that that helpful? Uh, I, I think it depends. Like even I, I have a lot of questions about. I love uh, a couple of my friends. We talk a lot about. I love stand-up comedy. I love comedians, and I like just joking around. Um, sometimes to the detriment of things. Uh, but and I like there's certain comedies that are like I just love so much. Right. Uh, there was. Let's see if I can find it really quickly. Um, there's a line from G.K. Chesterton about this where he's basically like, comedy is theological. Let's see if I can find it. I bet I can real quickly. Uh... Yeah. Um, If you really ask yourself why we laugh at a man sitting down suddenly in the street, you will discover that the reason is not only recondite, but ultimately religious. All the jokes about men sitting on their hats are really theological jokes. They are concerned with the dual nature of man. They refer to the primary paradox that man is superior to all the things around him and yet is at their mercy. Pascal would say in a more serious way, only Jesus Christ can make sense of the greatness of man and the utter wretchedness, right? This guy can do incredible computations and yet has to go to the bathroom every eight minutes, right? There's something really bizarre about that. Walker Percy saying, like, what gets me about man is not so much his, like, brokenness as his looniness, like the looniness of modern man who has no idea who he is or what he is doing. So I think there is a space for it, right, of just watching like an absurd show. You just have to pay attention to, is it, like my criteria is this line from Jeremiah where he says, they chase after empty idols but became empty themselves, right? We know something is not good for us if it makes us more empty and instead of filling us up. That's my criteria for it. They chase after empty idols, but became empty themselves. If I'm like watching something, even if I laugh really, really hard out of it, but like I come out kind of like empty and like a little more dead inside, it's like, maybe that wasn't good for me, right? But there is like joking with my friends that is like actually super life-giving. So I, I do think there is this criteria of pay attention to what makes you more alive or not. Is that helpful? You may have just question, but um, how do you determine whether something falls more into the distraction category? For myself, uh, it's a good question. For myself, it's one, am I like not free in the sense of it's like I need this thing, right? Is it instinctive? Is it instinctive in the sense of like immediately going to it, right? And does it actually like help me to look at my life? Uh, those are ju- just a few things. We, we do need some just like 
a little bit of like kind of like mindless stuff and like coming down like yeah but i i think we're more distracted than ever in human history right and our attention spans are shorter than ever i realize like even in my students the huge generational difference where if i'm looking at the news i'm going to read it because i can read faster than i can listen to something but they would and so even it's like if i if they ask a question about something i'm like read this article read this book whatever but for them it's they would rather watch a movie they would rather watch the, the YouTube video of it than, than actually read it. Different attention spans, different whatever, right? Um, I, I do think like the more we grow in self-knowledge over time, the more we can recognize, I'm actually using this to run away. Our friends can help us with this as well, right? Of like, hey, like I noticed that you're more distracted. There are certain songs that I listen to where it makes me like desire to live more seriously. And there's other things that are like escape. There's certain things I read that really invite me to look at my life. And there's other things that are like avoidance. But, but I do think there is like an interior. Does that make sense? Steve. Okay, I've been wondering about this question for the past like three or four months. Um, I hope I don't know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there like a theological reason as to why we enjoy getting scared? Like, this is relevant, especially down in October. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about this, too, actually, because I hate horror movies. Um, yeah. Why do we like horror movies, scary games, haunted houses? Like, obviously, different kinds of recreation is espoused and promote different kinds of virtues and whatnot with this. So this is not, like, gospel anything. This is theoretical, right? My, one of my friends, we were just talking about this, and what she was saying is that there's actually, like, a correlation of people that are more anxious enjoying horror movies and I actually think it's because in life, it's like, what am I anxious about? But in a horror movie, it's like named. And so it puts a name and a face to like what, it's like, oh, it makes sense. Walker Percy has this whole thing about like, why do people feel good during hurricanes? It's a weird thing to ask. Why do people feel good during hurricanes? Assuming they do, right? But he's like, all right, you're in, you're in New York on the subway, right? Nobody's talking to each other. Everybody's doing their own thing. The subway breaks down. Slowly, people start to talk to each other, like, what's going on? Like, what? And the longer the train is broken down, the more people talk to each other and interact. And he's like, the worst despair is when, when something is wrong, but everything appears to be fine. That's the greatest despair, is like when something is wrong and everything appears to be fine because you can't name it. But when something goes wrong and you can name it, it's like a, a sigh of relief, like, oh, you know? Everybody had something to talk about during COVID, you know? We could talk about COVID. It was like a unifying experience. So it was almost like a breath of relief of the unnamed thing I can actually name, right? And so I, my suspicion is that one, well, one aspect is like being, some people are adrenaline junkies and that's just a thing, right? To be like ramped up is to be alive. Uh, I'm not one of those people, right? My oldest brother, who's, a, who's a, a, like an ICU for kids, He's definitely a little bit of an adrenaline junkie, and it's a gift for his job. Like, you need that because this is a child, right? And so you need to have something that keeps you, like, going in front of the, like, urgency of the life. Um, so I think one aspect of it is, like, being an adrenaline junkie. But I suspect the other thing of horror is, the other thing is, like, evil gets reduced to pure sociology. And there's a part of us that knows that, like, maybe this, this isn't just, like, an app. Like, maybe this, like, darkness has teeth. Right. So it's also naming like, no, like evil, like actually exists. Right. But I also think that for some people it is like comforting of 
things are wrong and you can name it. And maybe like the world being tragic, there's something true about that. That's, that's my theory. I don't know if anybody would disagree with that. I'm not a horror movie person. I actually like can't stand them, but yeah. do you agree or disagree? No, I agree. Okay. I think it depends on the horror movie, uh, honestly. But I know I, a lot of them, one, they're dualistic, where it's like who will win, good or evil, and it puts a bad image in it. Like the, the priest always dies and they're terrible, right? And it's like, no, that's not actually how it works. Like, you know, you do a simple house blessing and evil just like goes, right? Because like Jesus is Jesus, right? So there's an unhelpfulness in that. Um, I, I do think there is an interesting thing of maybe instead of like watching these things more and more, if there is like something that like is under the hood, it actually needs to be named and worked on. So it's an interesting like diagnostic thing, but it's like there's, there's catharsis, which is like the release of emotions, and then there's working on our stuff. And what I've noticed about modernity is modernity doesn't really believe that things can change or life can be good. So it holds up everything as catharsis. So it's like, it's not good, but it's honest. And it's like, okay, but what's the next step? Is there a proposal, right? Because like, if we're going for a walk and I'm pointing out everything on the street that's bad, like there's a crack here, there's a crack there. I may be saying everything that's true, but that would probably be a miserable walk, right? And there's no way forward. Christianity actually offers a proposal in the sense of this is the tangible next step. So one of the, there is like a very real release of emotions when things are named, but then it's like, all right, are we working towards healing? Are we taking the next step? And that's where the modern world kind of gets stuck. So there's a very fat, no, we won't talk about that, but like, I'm, I'm very interested in these things. I actually had a question on, um, you're talking about delighting, right, in your activities and, and yeah. whether it's you know, something that you're delighting in or if it's something that you're just escaping from. Do you have any thoughts on how to avoid like overanalyzing that? And anytime you're having a good time, like just asking the question, is this good? Is this not good? Am I really delighting or am I just like escaping and kind of having that raw view of your joy? Man, that's like such the modern thing of like being stuck in our heads, you know? Uh, it's a it's a really good question. I think uh, leave it for the examination of conscience, right? There's a time to do the examination of conscience and do that and then kind of leave it there. We can tend to like be all over the map and constantly like in our heads about it. And it's like, no, there's a space to look at it and then move on. Also, our friendships, our friends can help us to see things clearly. They often see things that we don't see where it's like, hey, I notice you're more distracted and we don't see it. Or I notice. So it's like be present and being present in reality will resolve it, not like being in a, There's certain things like I can't know whether or not I'm good at skiing by thinking about it. I need to ski, right? And in all of the theoretical stuff is actually super unhelpful. So like I, I think the friendship aspect, but I was just with my nieces, my brother and my sister-in-law and my nieces and my parents. We were in um, uh, Pigeon Forge. We took my, nie- my four nieces to Dollywood, which is my nightmare. Uh, <laughs> But like we were taking the older girls on a roller coaster and they were, the the oldest one, you could watch her just getting ramped up of like, I don't think I can do this. We're not gonna, you know? And like, she has no clue. And so we were both just like, hey, it makes sense. But this is like, the image in your head is not the reality. Like we both love you, just stay with us and put your attention on us. 
But then she would look up the roller coaster and be like, I don't know, you know. And then we got on it and like it was a little rough for her. But then but then she was super happy that she did it. And so it was like the, the reality of it dictates. So it's like kind of pay attention afterwards. Also like trusting that the Lord isn't trying to confuse you. You know, I think part of our like thing in the head is almost like I have to figure this out. And it's like, man, real education, like the teacher is paying attention to the person. So does that make sense? It is, it is the modern problem of we're stuck in our heads. Um, on, that, oh, this is on that note of like thinking about you know, what people are thinking about in this modern day and age, and you kind of mentioned how this generation in particular is like so distracted. There's so many things in like the economy of attention trying to get at us. Um, I've been reading a lot of books and thinking a lot more about this concept of like choosing joy and finding true recreation. But how do you separate yourself from the distractions so that you can actually get to that joy and recreation versus like, you know, reverting to the Instagram reels or letting the distractions take over? What advice do you have? I'm still, I have questions about this for my own life. And for me, the enemy is hurry. I finally read Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which was actually really, really, I expected to be bad. It was actually really good. And uh, I'm super persnickety about everything. Uh, and like, I recognize the difference in ru- like uh, efficiency, like a rushing. And I, I don't think I ever clearly understood why hurry is the enemy of the spiritual life. Uh, my friend, Father Isaac, would say, uh, like, the initial experience of reality is wonder and awe, to be amazed and moved by things. That's the first impact with reality. As soon as we move away from that, that things are given, right? As soon as we move away from that, we begin to try to create our own utopia, like, make our own perfect little world, whatever. And then we begin to see people as problems, or we begin to use people, right? Uh, and so the way forward, and this is what the church proposes of, like, uh, silence, like, taking time for silence to, like, detox, but just to be uh, friendship. We need to actually, like, be with our friends in a true way that help us to have a true gaze on reality. Uh, and then begging for Christ, asking. Uh, I, like, ask a lot for him to, like, help me to see things as they are. I ask every day. I beg. I beg Christ every day. Uh, but I, I think those things... Which could be said another way even of like prayer, fasting, almsgiving, which the church gives us during Lent, right? Being with him, letting him set the pace. Uh, Jesus walked pretty much everywhere, right? Maybe we're like moving past him in our pace or we like need to catch up with him by like slowing down. Uh, Like fasting to have a like proper relationship with reality uh, Frederick, Frederick Douglass said, I didn't realize I was a slave until I couldn't do what I wanted to do, right? So it's like, all right, if I can't do what I want to do, if I'm not free to be with this person, like genuinely be with them because like I feel the phone buzzing, now I'm thinking about that. It's like, I need to detox, you know? Uh, and then almost giving life as gift, right? To give back in some way, that puts us back on track. But the church gives us these things, like very simply, but we, we see them as things we have to do instead of a proposal for the healing of my humanity. That's like what the church proposes is actually meant to be healing for our humanity and to make us more ourselves. And we see it as added on to all the things that we have to do instead of a response to the problem of my eye.
Christianity. Um, we're a very, like we worship God, but our society worships idols a lot. Um, so one thing I struggle with in my family is I'm not very into like the NFL or like college football as much, you know? But I recognize that like football or whatever as like, this is just an example, but like the actual thing is not bad. A bunch of dudes got real nervous yeah, as like, soon as you started. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just uh, like how do we participate, like go to a game or whatever and like draw the line between, okay, I'm enjoying this good thing, but then afterwards we're talking about it for three more hours. Like the stats and the blah, 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 the fantasy and the blah, 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 like all the things. Like how do you, I guess like how do you separate the idea? It is, it is an idol. It's, it's, it's it, it can thing. be, like, yeah, it, for sure. It Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely an idol in some people's minds. But like how do you enjoy the recreation without it becoming your God, you know? So are you asking for them or for you? Because those like, are two so different for things. Me, for me right? personally, like, I don't want to support, like, this is the only thing my family talks about. As opposed to, like, I don't talk about real things, but if I do, I'm like the Debbie Downer. I'm like, hey, let's talk about, like, how is your job? <laughs> how are you doing? No, let's talk about Nick Saban and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. Like, how do you, nav- I don't know if I'm the only one, but, like, how do you navigate that, you know? I think... I mean, yeah. so you're in it, right? My, my thing for anything is like, all right, what is the, the GK question is the line, every error is a truth gone mad, right? Every error is a truth gone mad. Uh, so whenever there's something that's like not good, there's something good in it that the person is attracted to. So it's like, do I understand what the good thing is uh, that they are attracted to so I can actually affirm that? Because the problem of sin or idolatry is a betrayal of the thing itself, right? So the idolatry of it is betraying the goodness of the thing itself. The problem is there's a whole market like hijacked. Like I can't remember the founder of, uh, I don't know if it was ESPN, but he was like, I want them to be thinking about sports every single night, right? Like very super intentional. When you listen to the people that started all these things, it's like scary. All of it is religious language. But I want this to become their religion. Um, so it's like, one, we model it by, like, we live it in a healthy way, and then we let it go. And we, like, ask the intentional questions. But then the question in front of all these things is always, like, how is the Lord in front of me in this? We all have our idols. We all have our things. And how is he in front of me? Right? One, super patient. Uh, two, this, like, always inviting to look at reality. Right? Always inviting to look at reality. And then, like, planting all of these seeds. So we, we live it like that. But I think also we have to like do the honest work of what does detox of like from the idols look like for me? Because if we don't do the work ourselves and know what the road looks like, we can't help anybody. We just say the same shallow things, you know? Like we just say the same stuff. But someone who, who knows the difficulty of the road and knows what it looks like can say, come with me on this. Does that make sense? Um, where do you find more fulfillment in recreation? You say like reading a book or being out in nature. Repeat the question. Where do you find more fulfillment, like when you're in, um, engaging in something recreational, like reading a book or being out in nature? Saying like either one or the other. It just depends on what I need. You know, I uh, the thing I've recognized, like part of our culture is like so consumerist that we can't just enjoy a thing as it is. So for me, it's like, it's not good enough just to hike 
I want to hike with my friends, smoking my pipe, you know, and like you just keep like while listening to music and like you just keep adding stuff. Right. And it's like, no, like enjoy the thing as it is. So it's like for me, I uh, like being out, just being in nature is like a help for coming down from all the thoughts in my brain. If I need directionality, reading is very helpful of offering like a movement towards something. That's kind of the distinction I would make. Right. I think we need both. So it's like me, like I like last weekend, I went with a couple of Ph.D. students like to Blood Mountain and so beautiful. Right. And I was like, yeah, I took time to read. But we also did some like awesome hiking. And I was like, you just hike, you know, like, don't put on music. We even did some time in silence just to like receive. Right. So I, I that would be kind of my I think we don't take enough time to frankly just sit. And for me, it's like if I just sit like on my porch for 20 minutes, the first 20 minutes are agony, right? But then it's like, oh, okay, like I can actually see the sunset and appreciate it and be there. But there is like a very real detox time. If I'm being honest, same thing with holy hour of praying. It's like the first like 40 minutes are coming down from everything in my brain and everything that's happened and everything I've ingested. And it's like, that's okay. But to accept the dynamic of the detox time. Does that make sense? So, um, oh. sorry. <laughs> uh, so, as we're growing closer to God, there are some things that bring us to light now that, or in the past, that will no longer uh, bring us that delight, that will lose their flavor. Um, it's my understanding that those are typically the distractions or things that just bring us to you know very superficial superficial pleasure or happiness, not the things that bring us true joy, but correct me if I'm wrong. So how do you distinguish between that, your your conversion journey, and things that are coming from a more negative area, like evil influences or depression or things like that as you're doing that journey? Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I, I do, I would make a distinction of like a second grade math book was helpful in second grade. So it's not that it was bad, right? Like you read it now and it's like, this isn't helpful. It was like, no, it was helpful at second grade. So it is a good, it was a good that you needed at like a specific time, right? Some angsty music, sometimes I'll go back and listen to music I listened to growing up. I'm like, this was bad, but it also spoke to the heart of 14 year old brand, you know? Like uh, there's something there, like it was, yeah. And so there is a like good in that, but I think the sifting through, like test everything, retain what is good. There were certain things that were good for the time, right? Training wheels on a bike, are great for a time, but then it's like, no, you're actually made to ride the bike, right? So there are, the, the part of the distinction I'd make is things that are like formational or educational in that regard and you need at the time, but then it's like, all right, different season of life. And it's not that the thing was bad, it was good, it was what you needed at the time. I even think of this sometimes with like, sometimes people can really like, as they're growing in the faith, things that were helpful early on, they kind of like rag on, like a popular Christian writer or whatever. And it was like, no, that actually was helpful for you at the time. It's just you've grown, you need something different. So it's not to dog on it, but actually like appreciate it for what it was at the time. Um, but there is, you're right, a distinction of things that are just like not good for us. Um, I think, ugh, and this probably isn't helpful, but like there is a sifting through of time we can tell. Does that make sense? This education point, I think, is really crucial. Even, like, catechesis of, like, you know, the, the third grade model of the atom is, like, inaccurate. It's not accurate, but it's what a child can understand, 
right? And you show them that model of the atom so that they can understand later, like the real, like what an atom looks like. But it's technically wrong, right? But it's what they can understand at the time so they can understand it later. Even with catechesis and the faith or certain things, it's like, all right, it's super simplistic because they are children. But then the hope is that they're going to get the real stuff, the more full stuff later on. But if you're an adult with the child's version of the atom, you're like, this is for children, right? And so you don't understand it uh, or you disregard it. And it's like, no, it's not that it was not true. It's that like it was for kids and you need the adult thing. But I, I don't think we understand fully like life as education. And so I think that that's it. Just got the, just got the note that we are out of time. So. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you very much.